the Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 136 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your week to spend with us today. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. I'm on Twitter at JustinHughes365, and Andrew is on Twitter at AMCQ82. All of us are around, and if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us there. And you can also join our Facebook group, Baseball365. Over there, Andrew and myself and close to 3,000 other people are talking about baseball. Somebody's having a conversation every single day of the year. Uh, There are great minds in the group who are, you know, if they talk daily about dynasty, fantasy, like yearly redrafts, their league openings, there are people posting right now about league openings for dynasty and redraft leagues. I've noticed a few of those posts this week. And the best way you can support the show is to go to iTunes just by taking a few moments and leaving us a five-star rating and writing a nice review for us. It's a great way to help us get us our names out there. And as always, all of these plugs can be found on the show notes. If you haven't listened to our episode Friday, I highly recommend you pause this and go listen, download and listen to that episode before you dive into this one. Andrew, myself, and Chris Winder had our third annual Rotomasters Draft and Hold draft that we just completed, and we talked in about the first 10 rounds on that episode. And now we're going to talk about rounds 11 through 50 and some of our other, um, just overall thoughts on draft and hold process and what we saw during this draft. So here you go. Enjoy. All right, so rounds 11 through 20 we'll go to next, and um, I'll just read off Justin's picks here first. So we got Sean Manaya in round 11, Joey Votto in round 12, Marcus Stroman in round 13, Anthony Disclafani in round 14, Herman Marquez in round 15, Adam Duvall, Kyle Seeger, Anthony Santander, and then your two catchers with Christian Vasquez and James McCann in round 19 and 20. Um, just kind of give your thoughts on one or a couple of these guys or kind of your, um, how you're like kind of building your team. Obviously you're filling out your starting lineup here, especially in the later part of these, uh, this set around just kind of what you were thinking overall. Here's where I want to talk about my starting pitching. Uh, I breezed past Morton and Maley in round seven and eight earlier. And, um, cause I wanted to talk about it here. And I attacked this uh, the starting pitching hard in rounds 11 to 15, taking three more pitchers in those four rounds. Manea, Marcus Stroman, as Anthony Descalfani, and Herman Marquez. Tie those in with Morton and Maley, and I have one heck of a boring pitching staff here. These guys do not have a ton of flash to them, but I was happy to get them all. Last year, my strategy, I went pocket aces, and then took, you know, my around this point, I took a lot of Corey Klubers, Chris Sales, James Paxton's. Guys who I thought had upside but came with risk, and it didn't seem like any of those guys held up well. I just, it didn't work for me in those rounds last year. 
And by mid-season in a lot of leagues, I was struggling to put start enough starting pitchers in there to fill a rotation. Yeah, I had my pocket aces that, for the most part, stayed healthy, but I was throwing out there relievers or um, J.A. Happ, God forbid, was getting thrown in way too many leagues. So this year, for this first draft, I had a completely different approach. Get the boring guys, get innings. Pitchers break down, and these guys could do just that, but I went after guys who had a track record of staying healthy. Um, you know, I was really ticked at Mike Cangiano. Um, I mentioned this in the chat, taking Wainwright in around 11. I'm on board with taking him sooner than that, but I waited too long to grab him playing the um, ADP game. Steady Eddie, who won't re replicate 2021 probably, but he doesn't have to. And then not much to say about the back half of the, the this Duvall, Seager, Santander, two veteran catchers. Filling holes, getting some more power as the speed is either gone or ugly at this point. And I did want to bring up that that's why I so badly wanted to grab a lot of speed early as I didn't want to chase it in these rounds. I went back and looked, Andrew, at our podcast we did on an episode last May, episode 118, if anybody wants to go check it out. We evaluated the early results of the speed power guys who lacked, who, uh, you know, the hit tool had question marks about hit tool. And it wasn't good. And I really wanted to avoid those players this year. So that's why I was glad to have the power speed. So I wasn't even having to worry about any of those guys. Yeah, all good points. Um, question for you about waiting on catcher. You think you'll be doing that most of the time? Yes. I typically do this year after year. I don't, I'm not one that grabs them early. I do. I have no problem with somebody who does. If we're going to talk about my catchers, the one thing I would probably change is I took Christian Vasquez and about 10 rounds later, I took Luis Torrens. And I think a couple of rounds after that, you took, uh, I think it was you, Andrew, that took, um, somebody took the Boston backup catcher. And I forgot Kevin Ploiecki. Yeah, that, I that would be me. That would be me in round forty. That yeah, was a way. I should have board, but I beat myself up on that. I'm like, I should have taken Ploiecki because actually with McCann, I took Thomas Nito at the end of the draft, filling that hole and you know covering that. I should have done the same thing with Vasquez. Yeah, I was just curious because I've noticed last year and this draft that you've waited on catcher most of the time. And I was just curious kind of yeah, how you thought about it. it. It worked out well for me last year. I honestly thought my catchers were pretty decent in most of my leagues. Like it didn't, like I was pretty happy with it. I don't, I didn't have di league winners by any chance, but I mean, I waited last year and took a lot of the um, Yachty Molina's and the um, Carson Kelly actually was one. I took in a few leagues and Omar Narvaez and, they went well for me. So, yeah, I just buy low on the scrap heap, and I'm good with that. All right. I'll go over to Chris now and just read off his rounds 11 through 20. So we got round 11, Reese Hoskins, round 12, Ryan McMahon, round 13, Austin Hayes, round 14, Corey Knable, your first closer, round 15, Marcelo Zuna, round 16, Charlie Blackman, round 17, Travis Darnot, round 18, Lane Thomas, like that one. Round 19, Bailey Ober, and round 20, Marco Gonzalez. Um, just highlight 
couple of these guys or kind of what's your uh, strategy? Like I said, obviously filling yeah. out starting lineup, stuff like that. Yeah, I want to go back to Justin's point. I think it's a really good one. I think I noticed in pitching, it's not about the upside pitchers and drafting holds. It's all about volume. And I think that's key. Even though I don't have the volume right now, I loaded up my rounds here, 11 through 20. It was all about hitting because I have my two my two arms up top. So it's, again, all about hitting. I was kind of looking for these undervalued guys. Um, you know, Marcelo Zuna, not the guy I'm going to invite over for Christmas next week. But um, he went in the third and fourth round last year. And <laughs> I was on Black- mute laughing out loud just now. And I- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Charlie Blackman, like, you know, it's cores. He was going to seventh last year. I got him around 14 or something like that. It's just, it's just whatever. And then you just sprinkle in. Those are guys who are going to play every day. And then, well, maybe. And then you sprinkle in the upside with, you know, I love Hayes and Lane Thomas because they're going to get, they're going to play and because they're not in really good teams and they're going to chip in and some get you eight to 12 steals. And I think those guys are valuable. The guys are going to play every day and, the guys are going to get a lot of bats. Like Hayes and Lane Thomas can bat leadoff, and that's those are valuable yeah. at bats. Are you guys yeah, confident def- Lane Thomas is going to play every day? I have him in RM two, and I'm not I'm not as certain either way. But fairly, so I'm fairly. I'll send you an offer. Fairly confident. <laughs> Don't um, send I me think- some low offer now that I said that. Here's kind of my take on the the whole pitching and the innings thing. Um, I definitely agree that you need innings. Uh, you also need at bats, um, and I think doing now I'm in you know getting towards the back half of my third draft. I think that at bats dry up before innings do. Um, yeah, for sure. There gets to a point where everybody is scrambling for the last everyday players on offense, mm-hmm. and it's because they know that. There are still pitchers, even when you get, I'm talking like round 25 to 30 and beyond, that are going to get innings. And I like like what you were saying, Justin, with the boring guys, you know, like Mania Stroman, Disclafani, Marquez, just the guys you took. I'm with you that you need innings, but I guess my counter to that is I feel like I can get innings in round 20, round 25, even later. Um, so, and, and that's I kinda, why I've I, been doing it. I've been doing it a little different. I've been taking guys that I feel like have a shot at being an ace or at least are electric per inning. Um, like I've been taking Shane Boz. I took in this one, I took Tanner Houck, Aaron Ashby. Those guys are probably not going to get a ton of innings, but let's all also keep in mind that last year, there were guys that we had innings questions about that blew up. And there also is like the top, um, I want to say it was seven pitchers that threw 190 innings last year or more. Um, So the number of innings that the top guys are throwing, it just isn't as high. There's not as many innings. So, you know, like 170 now is good, really good. Uh, It's just a different level. And, I feel like if you can get guys that you're like, okay, I can squint and see this guy. Like I actually am kind of warming up to Severino. I know you took him in this draft, Chris, but I think that he's going to be healthy. He's going to throw. We've seen him be an ace, like all of that stuff, you know? And um, I think there's time for the boring innings. I just think it's a little bit later than this is 
My yeah, general, that's my where, general. That's point, where I'm talking so. about. I agree with you, Andrew. That's why in the first 18 rounds, only have four pitchers, one closer, three pitchers. I think they all have upside. Severino was going in the first couple rounds a couple years ago before TJ, and I'm talking about volume in per se is the amount of pitchers. I want to take 25, 26. Correct. Of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm because with what's going to happen? What's going to happen is this: you're going to see the standings when these guys only that no one has pitchers to throw out in in August, September. And I have so much volume out there of pitchers that I can just plug in and get some innings here and there, and my counting stats will be fine. Like last year, I finished really high in in pitching categories, but I didn't have like those aces. It just kind of you know fell into place because I didn't know injuries and just I had a lot of pitchers, and I think that's the way to go. You definitely, I mean, you definitely do not want to be short on innings, but I also just feel like you don't want to be short on. Um, at bats either or obviously or quality of the innings or potential quality, whatever you want to talk about. So, yeah, I just, like I said, I just feel like you can get boring innings uh, pretty far down the board, actually. Uh, I do agree there's even, there's even guys going, you know, if you stack, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of guys I would say in like the round 25 to 35 range that nobody really, likes like it's not like you're looking at those guys and going oh my god he could be so good but if you attack it in bulk and it's just like okay I'm gonna just draft several of these guys and at that point in the draft really all you need is like a couple of them to hit you don't need all of them to hit some of them are gonna be terrible but um yeah I I think that's just kind of how I'm gonna be attacking it this year I don't know that's just kind of how I felt about it so and Any thoughts on that or my crazy? You mentioned stacking, and that's kind of where I was going to bring up a point a little bit later. I think a good strategy, like you mentioned, is grab all these arms later. Like, that's what I did. And you're going to find out, like, after around 30, I only grabbed, like, four bats. Um, wow, really? And cat, and, yeah, I'm going to talk about a little bit. And I think I grabbed one more because I didn't – I like this one guy I'll touch upon later. I think he can play every day or he play a lot in a good offense. But after around, around you know, I can – yeah, what is it? Yeah, yeah you're after, right. After round thirty, I just kind of I took two, took four bats after round or five. I've heard five. of, yeah. I've heard a yeah. lot of, I've heard a lot of people with strategies on these draft and holds of like the last fifteen rounds just taking all pitching. I mean, yeah. like that's just flyers on every pitcher that they kind of like or that could get saves or whatever. Because there's just a lot of those guys. I mean, there's you, they're. They're kind of everywhere, you know. I do think it's also important to mention in these rounds of the draft, um, around I don't know, I would say around twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, when the closers dry up, you have to be really careful taking relievers that might not get saves because you can look at a reliever that goes in round twenty-two. And you can scroll down to round 42 and find the same guy. Yep. So I just think it's important to note that, like, if you're taking a reliever that isn't the front runner for saves in, like, say, round 22, have a good reason for it. Because I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a board and I've been like, oh, my gosh, like this is the same as the guy that went 15 rounds ago. And Because, and, you know, relievers, the margins are so thin anyways. They're not throwing a lot of innings. You're kind of just – hoping to hit a home run on a guy that can pitch that pitches in the ninth. And it's like, why not push that as far down as you can, as opposed to 
you know, blowing a pick in the middle rounds for on him. I, yeah. I kind of how I feel about it. I did, I took the two closures five and six, and I didn't take another reliever yeah. until round thirty nine, and I took five between thirty nine and fifty. I tell you what, when we were doing this draft, I was like, that's like my favorite thing that Justin did in this draft was you took a Roldis and Kenley, which granted, I don't know if I would have doubled up there, but you did, and it's fine. I'm not saying it's bad. But then you didn't take one forever. And that's exactly what you should do if you take a Roldis and Kenley up the top. So, yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah, and I didn't touch upon the stacking idea. You know, we all play a little fantasy football, but I think stacking's come into play, especially in these draft and holds. Mm-hmm. There's three pairings that I like. I like Tyler Beatty and Sammy Long. One of them is going to pitch. Maybe both of them, but I think the endings, you know, they're going to get some. Uh, Mitch yep. White and David Price, I have both of those. And then Paulo Espino and uh, Juan Adon for Washington. I think you're going to find endings out of those, a combination of those two guys. I think it's a good thing to think about, you know, uh, just take a couple from the same team. Yeah. Let's let's get into uh, kind of rounds 21 and, and beyond here, and we can just kind of lump it all together, I think. But um, – you know, obviously you're filling out depth, filling out your starting lineups. Um, what what are you guys thinking as far as what positions are, especially like not so much in draft, but now that the draft is over, what do you think is deep? What do you think that you can wait on or um, just kind of stuff like that, like position, mostly talking about positions like outfield and shortstop, you know, just different. Um, anything that sticks out to you is like specifically shallow or, or deep. Either one of you can start. Yeah, I want I want to grab my middle infield earlier, I think. I think people think it's deep. But I, like I mentioned earlier, I think these guys can play a lot and they're going to give you a lot of power speed. Um, I ended up with only at shortstop. My middle infield is J.P. Crawford. Like I have some flexibility, like I can move guys around, but I'm not as happy with it that I, if I went earlier on those guys and then obviously outfield, like we mentioned earlier, just making sure that you get five of them. I ended up with nine plus with the flexibility, a little more than that. I just think outfield. And I think I'm going to probably grab middle infield more up top, grab two of them. I think. How about you, Justin? Yeah, I agree on middle infield. I definitely want to get that early. And I did in this draft. I honestly didn't feel like I was chasing anything this whole draft. i I and that made me feel good. I didn't feel like, oh, I got to get this position filled too many times during this draft. And I think big reason for that was getting Bo and Wit, and having Wit, Muncie, and Taylor gave me a lot of positional like flexibility as I was moving down the draft to where I'm like, I can, I got so many posit like I can move these guys around, assuming Muncie's playing opening day, to where I really can do whatever I want in terms of filling out my roster there because. That's second base, shortstop, first base, outfield between those three players to where I kind of – I had places to move around. and But, yeah, I think middle infield is the thing that dries up quicker in terms of filling. So, uh, so yeah, those would be my two that I would say are the – or that would be the positions I would be wanting to get early. Yeah, I kind of feel – I kind of feel somewhat similar – um, about that as I did last year mm-hmm. where, um, you know, the corner bats, I mean, most of the corner bats, obviously not talking about 
like Jose Ramirez and a couple other ones, but most of them don't run. So when you're comparing a corner infielder that goes in round four to a corner infielder that goes in round 15 or 16, I just feel like there's, there's less that differentiates them because you're not, you don't have to separate steals. So you're really just looking at power and average. Whereas with middle infielders, you're, you're having to separate so much. Um, I was actually having a conversation with somebody the other day and we were just talking about um, how much I like Josh Bell. I've drafted him in two of my first three drafts. This one, I got him at the 11, 12 wheel. And I was like, you know, guys like that, I think are the reason why I talk myself out of Matt Olson. Yep. And I talk myself out of Pete Alonzo. And it's not that those guys aren't really good. They are. I mean, they have a ton of power and, you know, league leading power upside. I'm not saying Josh Bell is as good as those guys, but if they slip at all in, you know, I mean, I think we can agree Matt Olson, Pete Alonzo, they could hit 250. They could hit 245 and they do that. And, you know, hit say 34, 35 home runs instead of, what you would maybe put the ceiling on them at, it starts to look a little more like the first baseman that go 10 rounds later. And I just, when I'm looking at those guys at the top, one, I'm thinking more about average and steals than I am power. But I think that's why I just talked myself out of those corner bats. So I, I mean, Vlad and Freddie are different. They're, they're just on another level with the average and stuff. But, um, yeah, I just kind of my feeling on the corners and definitely I'm with you guys on taking middle middle infield early. So, well, a lot of the middle infielders, they have like position flexibility. Look at Tatis at one has outfield. You got, you know, some of these guys can, you know, Trey at second short. Like they can move around a lot. So like pairing, you know, Trey with Tim Anderson, you know, one and three. That's really nice to me. Um, those kind of things like that. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Quick question, not to get too far off, but would you guys, who would you guys take number one? Wait, number one overall? Yeah. Uh, Tatis. How about you, Chris? Yeah, I think it's Tatis or Trey. I'm thinking, I'm leaning towards Trey, to be honest with you. I think just the second base, shortstop, and just the, a lot more stolen bases. Um, cool. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah one of those. I don't two. think, I don't really think there's a wrong answer. I was just curious. All right, so kind of getting towards the end, um, call it like the last 20 rounds, and we can just kind of talk about some favorite picks. But who did you – did you have any targets in here that you got that you like or uh, ones that you missed that you like? Just kind of a free-flowing conversation because there's obviously just so many names that we could go on forever about it. But, um, yeah, any any favorite picks that you had for yourself or – that another team made stuff like that. Maybe like your strategy on how you filled out the end of your team. Start with, uh, start with Chris. Yeah. So uh, like I mentioned, rounds 31 through 50, I only, my plan was only four more hitters and included two more catchers. Um, so really I just wanted a prospect. We didn't touch. We're going to maybe touch on prospects a little bit later. I, I do want to take a prospect. You know, we mentioned Bobby Wood earlier, the upside's out of control. I do, but I'm going to take my ups, my prospect in the later rounds. This 31 through 50. And I end up with Bryson Stott. He just killed the AFL. There might be a mm-hmm. position. There might be an opportunity at shorter third in Philadelphia. And then um, I think outfield, like I mentioned, is not that great. So I took Josh Naylor 
which I, I, I like, you know, that horrific injury, but he's a really good batting average and he can play first and outfield. And I did get Bobby Bradley earlier. So it kind of like pairs those guys together. And then, um, my two catchers actually like these rounds. Um, Kevin Palouk, uh, we mentioned him early, the backup for, uh, Boston, you know, he kills lefties and I just want those guys that I can, I know I can plug in. They're not going to kill my batting average. And I know, you know, I can just play if they have a lot of lefties coming up, if something happens to my first two. And I like uh, Kirk Casale for the Giants. I just think he can play a lot more than people think just because he was there last year. And I don't think Joey Bart plays every day. Could they bring another veteran? Yeah, but they, I don't know. So um, it was really just four hitters that I wanted and the rest were pitchers. And I mentioned earlier, I just paired a lot of like pitchers that I kind of liked. A Mitch White, David Price. I was going to say, I, I really yeah. I really like the Mitch White pick. I Yeah. I feel like that guy's going to pitch more than people think, even though he's on the Dodgers. I just think he's good. And yeah, I, 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 that late, I just, I feel like yeah. you can't really, can't really lose on that. And pairing closers, like I got Drew Pomerantz and Luis Garcia for the Padres, just kind of pairing those guys. I think I got Garcia. I don't know. I ended up a couple Padre guys just because that bullpen's kind of in flux. Just yeah. kind of looking at people that can, um, yeah, Luis Garcia and Pomerantz. And then um, I heard someone mention, I think, I don't know exactly who, but I like uh, Mike Myers for the Angels, the backup for Iglesias. If something does happen to Iglesias, who just signed a big contract, um, Joe Matt is just going to stick with one guy, and that guy's Mike Myers. So he could fall into the closer role if something happens to Iglesias. And those guys that sign a deal right after free agency, I kind of agree that they kind of fall off. They really push in for that money, and then that year after a contract, they kind of you know, fall, tail off a little bit. So those are kind of the picks I liked in that round. How about how about you, Justin? What about these uh, Alec Thomas, huh? Yeah, I took one. I took one shot there. I I didn't want to take many, just like Chris. I really wasn't planning yeah. on taking many. I mean, if you look, I think I what do I got? Alec Thomas in round thirty-seven, and then I took eleven rounds later. I took Elahuris Montero with Colorado. You took uh, Matt Labrador too. Yes, and one and one pitcher. Yeah. So yes, I I took three shots and. Guys who I, yeah, I think Thomas is going to be up next year. Yeah, you, yeah, you I never know. Yeah. But um, really just in-game, I was targeting guys I thought would be playing most of the year, and I think I found that pretty well. Rugnet Odor makes most fantasy players want to vomit, myself included, but he's now <laughs> in Baltimore, and he's second base, third base eligible. So I he probably will get a start. He'll probably start most of the year, at least the early part. Could be okay playing on a bad team. Seen I've seen dumber things happen before. Um, I took the Alec Thomas. Um, I tried finding p- players that would play though, and I do think Seth Brown's a sneaky one. Um, Oakland. I think after uh, Freddie Freeman signed somewhere, Oakland's going to end up moving Matt Olson, and that, there was a lot of talk about that at the end of the year. And if that happens, that could open up a spot for Seth Brown because he's a first base out outfield guy right now and i've paid attention to him a little bit over the years i think i've had shares of him in dynasties and i i I think there's a chance he works his way into some at bats um as a you know um strong side of a platoon type guy so that's what i I would really i like the late flyers you took on these relievers archie bradley michael givens hansel robles luke jackson all 42 and round 42 and beyond i mean that's I think that you might get a closer out of that. And if you get one, that's that's good. So. Yep. 
Yep. Yeah, I, I noticed that, Just I noticed that with your team, Justin. You took eight guys that are, are free agents. I know we're not really on a stalling theory. But it makes sense, though, because like Andrew mentioned, Bradley Gibbons and Robles aren't signed, and those guys have closed before, and that means something to these teams. So I, I kind of like that idea. The yeah. minute these – a lot of these um, – the minute that a lot of these free agents sign, they're – They'll shoot up a few rounds. Now, I'm not necessarily speaking just about those guys, just anybody. Um, I feel like this time of year, a lot of the free agents kind of fall off. Um, um, or you can you can get them at discounts, you know. And some of it's risk. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like some of the older um, – I know I've mentioned this a little bit, but some of the older free agents, I am like uh, specifically Andrew McCutcheon – yeah, and who was the other one? Jed Lowry, uh, I took. That's another one I think. Well, but that, but that one you got. I mean, you basically got him for free. I'm talking about guys that are kind of going in the upper part of the draft. They just, I'm just a little worried they might retire. I'm not saying yes. they will for sure, but I just, um, I it's like with McCutcheon specifically, and I know there was one other one um, that's kind of in that range of that draft. It's like. I don't know. I just kind of want to see him sign before I'm investing a pick in them. But um, you know, but like I took, but like I took Eddie Rosario. But I'm not worried about him signing. I just, you know, I'm not worrying about him retiring, stuff like that. So I laughed. Um, I laughed when Chris brought up the whole um, me taking free agents. I don't think it was this draft. I think it was another one you did with me, Andrew. That at the end of the draft, you're like, you asked me, it's like. Did you realize that you drafted like 13 free agents that are not signed last year? Maybe. (laughs) And I had, it was last year. I just don't remember which draft it was. I don't think it was this one. And I had no idea. I just don't pay attention to that. I I'm like, yeah, I think that guy's going to sign and end up on a, on a team. And for the most part that worked out for me last year. And um, I definitely don't put that, give that much account into that. If I think, yeah, this guy's going to sign. Yeah, um, as long as you're confident that it's just, you know, with the older guys, if they're a free agent and they're not a total stud right now, I mean, they always there's always that risk. You you want to know one that was a free agent that I was so scared to take, but if he signs, I think is a really good pick. That would be Quang Hung Kim by um, Gabe at pick number yeah. f- round 43. I stared at that guy for five or six rounds. And I'm just yeah. like, man, if this guy signs, he's going to probably, and he stays healthy, he's getting 150 innings. But, man, this guy also could just decide with this lockout to go back to Japan because he's a free agent. And I could see that happening too. To where I just didn't have the guts to do it because he had some injury problems and he had this, but man, he just, I mean, he just stood I feel, out there forever. I feel that way about Kikuchi a little bit. Yeah. Like I'm fair. not, I'm not completely, uh, I'm not really comfortable with him either. And it's not that it's again, it's not that I don't think he'll sign, but I would just rather find somebody else. Like I, there's other, there's so many other pitchers you can take. I just, I don't really want to take on the risk, especially in a, in a league where I have to hold the same, you know, the 50 guys all year and, there's no drops or anything like that. So, uh, just to just to touch on mine, I think I took I took one prospect in the whole draft, and it was um, it was Austin Martin in round 47, just to have a little flexibility and thought he'd be fun if he get called gets called up. But 
I don't even necessarily know if he will. Um, but yeah, just kind of filled out my team. One thing I never, I don't think I've ever done is take wait till round 38 to take my second catcher. Yeah. That was something. Yeah. What happened was, was I took, so I took Varsho in round seven and then I just waited and, um, it was like every time I was kind of thinking about it, they went and I told myself when one of Luis Torrens and Ryan Jeffers goes, I'm going to take the other one. And they went back to back. (laughs) (laughs) So I, um, yeah, missed that. And then just, I kind of look at it when you get to a certain point with catchers, it's just like relievers. The margins between those catcher twos is so thin that, like, I don't care if I get the one that goes in round 30 or round 40, yeah. you know, like they're just not, there's no difference to me, like between, um, uh, those players. So that's why I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And finally I, I took a few at the end, but yeah, just, you know, late flyers and all that. I, Oh, I'm the one that took Torrens. <laughs> yeah. You took Torrens. Yeah. And then right after that, uh, Jeffers went, went and yep. I was like, Oh, I guess I'm waiting even longer. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was kind of, I mean, after I missed on, I want to say, well, there was a run. Remember that catcher run? It was like insane. It was like yes. rounds 18 and 19. Uh, we had five in a row. Haas, yeah. Haas, Zanino, Murphy, Narvaez, Garver, Bart, Vazquez, Vazquez, Kelly, Molina, and Elias Diaz all in, you know, like, 22 picks or so so it was uh pretty wild yeah all those catchers went but um i guess we can get to the get to the end here how do you how do you feel about your team we'll start with justin just overall like how do you how do you feel about like your plan that you did you execute it are you happy uh what what do you feel you did good what do you what would you do differently stuff like yeah that. i'm really happy with this i i feel like i have a good balance I don't look anywhere and really cringe. Um, getting the rare categories early and filled in with the plentiful categories later. Not sure at this point if I do anything different. I think I might have a similar strategy this entire offseason. That said, next fall, if I find myself having poor pitching due to a lack of standout pitchers, I might have to rethink this. So that that's really how I'm feeling about this team right now. How about you, Chris? How do you feel about the team? What do you think yeah. you did well, and what would you do different? Yeah, I like my team. I think what I would do differently is definitely grab Will Smith instead of the reliever instead of Chris Bryant, like I mentioned earlier. I definitely want to get a closer in the first seven rounds, and I didn't do that. I did get Knable, though, and I'm going to follow that money. I think his ADP is going to keep climbing to see when he signed with Philadelphia. I think I got him. Yeah, that really was a good pick. Price. Um, yeah, he went in so, uh, the draft I'm in now, he went in round 10. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. Nice. He's moving. He's moving up. He's moving up. I think he'll be right after you know that eight nine range, kind of where those guys are going. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you guys do, but I definitely I strap. I since only projections out there are steamer, and I kind of look at that, and um, my projections are quite high. Like I like him. I probably could use a little more speed. However, most of my guys chip in with stolen bases in five to ten. I just think I probably could end up with one, maybe one more guy that maybe can get a little bit higher. But I did go two starters you know, back to back, you know, I think if I end up with Mondesi and that pick um, instead of, I think real Muto in the fourth or fifth, I think it would have been a lot more speed there. 
But I'm, I'm really satisfied with my team. I think overall I kind of did what I wanted to do, attack hitting early, and just load up on arms and volume arms, just a lot of arms. Because, like I mentioned, when those teams in August, September, they don't have pitching to throw out there because they're all injured, I have guys I can at least put out there to get some counting stats as well as maybe some wins. And it won't. it's that late that it won't kill me in my ERA and whip. What was what was oh sorry, go ahead, Justin. Um just to follow up about the catching up because guys are running out of arms, I do want want to bring up something that we haven't talked about yet. We talked about how many prospects we took. Um a mistake that I think a few teams in this league made is taking too many prospects. And you know, if I meant I meant to bring this up by the way, so yes, keep going. Yeah, that's I it was I had it on my notes and it was in there and we went past and I was like, Okay, we're gonna circle back right here. Um you can't if you take too many of these guys, you know, the sexy names are fun to get all of these prospects that could be debuting during the year and you dream about them coming up and having this loaded roster of stars of rookies that are coming up, but so many either don't come up or come up really late in the year. And many don't take off right away, kind of like what I was saying about Witt earlier. Very few seem to play well from day one in this last year, and it's not fun having inactive players clogging slots up when you need to fill holes. I took one prospect in the 30s and two more in the 40s, and I just saw so many teams that, I mean, there's five to ten got empty holes in their team on that I that probably will be that way all year. And whenever you're trying to fill slots when injuries happen, because they're going to happen, you're just going to, you have no, I, I, in my opinion, you just don't have a chance. And as Chris was just talking about catching up with innings, you're going to pass those guys up too. I was just going to say, um, I think that's the point. The, the big point is when injuries strike, because believe me, if you've ever played in a draft and hold, injuries are going to strike. I there's played no, J.A. Happ last summer. Yeah, there's no, like, you're, I mean, you are going to have several players on your team that are hurt. And what happens is, is if you have too many prospects, you all of a sudden narrow the options that you have to put in your lineup. I mean, to the point that if you have way too many, I mean, you may run out of guys. Like, there's just, there's only so many spots, so... I've been really careful. I tell you, today, I took in my draft, my uh, NFBC draft, I took Julio Rodriguez in round 27. It was the latest he's gone in any NFBC league. And I still was like, I mean, he went in round 16 in this one, uh, the one that we're talking about. And I got him in round 27. And, and I know most people are like, oh, my God, round 27, it's Julio Rodriguez. It's a steal. And Yes, I made the pick, um, and I'm fine with it. But my point is, is like, I really let him drop and drop and drop. And finally was like, okay, I can live with it here. But I still feel like it could wind up being a bad pick. Like, I mean, he's still a prospect. He's got to get to the majors, and then he's got to produce. And believe me, I'm not going to take another another hitting prospect for a while, probably, because I just know that you can't have too many holes like that on your team. You know, if if they fall to you, great. If you specifically like them, great. But I would kind of pick my spots with those guys and not say I got to have all of them because it just doesn't work in a draft and hold. 
What do you think, Chris? I mean, about yeah, kind of the yeah, prospect I, landscape I, in general. I 100% agree. You made a really good point on a couple podcasts ago about Wander Franco. Like, Wander Franco was amazing. But if you look at his numbers when he came up, you know, he came up so late and he didn't do that. You know, his home runs and steals weren't great. You know, his average is what you only really got as well as your counting stats. I think when regards to prospects, I'm only going to take one, uh, probably two at the most of hitting prospects. I don't mind taking flyers and arms, though, late because those guys are usually the ones that are coming up. Um, but I, you know, a couple more than hitting prospects. But um, I think it's a very valid point. You're only going to focus on that. And it's it's different than a redraft. You have to focus on this. Drafting holds a different animal. A redraft league, if you have IL spots, you can take a couple more shots. I held on to Bobby Witt in the league the whole year in a draft, in a redraft league. I held him because I thought he was going to be up, and he never did. And I still finished in the money because it was an IL, and I was able to be flexible, and I just – did my thing. So I, it's, it's, you draft and hold, you can't, you can't have zeros. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the other thing too, and I've mentioned this before, but like the, a lot of times the prospects that come up and actually explode, aren't the ones you think are going to do it. Um, like last year, Adalas Garcia. I mean, he had arguably the best season of any prospect in the entire, you know, any of them. I mean, you could argue he was better than all of them. And I looked last year, he, I was in six draft champions leagues and he was undrafted in five of them. And in the meantime, Torque was drafted, never played. Julio was drafted, never played. Adley was drafted, never played. And there's tons more. So just because, a top prospect is a top prospect. It's the long view when you look at those lists. But for 2022, you really got to assess, like, is this guy going to play this year? And, I mean, there's just a lot of risk that goes into that. I mean, they, they can work out. They definitely can. But, um, you know, if you, put, if you take a guy that isn't going to come up till midseason, all of a sudden your window narrows for what he can do for your team. You just got to keep that stuff in mind. Uh, worst snipe of the draft. Did you guys have one that was really bad? I think I've mentioned both of mine, Lance Lynn and pick four. Round four was two picks in front of me, Adam Wainwright in round 11, three picks before me. Funny enough, Bob Rag took Adam Ottavino in round 50, one pick before me. That was whenever, I mean, I was on <laughs> auto queue for the last four or five rounds. Ottavino was the top of my queue and he went the pick before me in round 50. Wow. So wow. if Ottavino gets 25 saves next year, I'm going to find you, Bob. I'm coming up to Indiana and finding you. That's that's pretty intense. Uh, <laughs> round 50 snipe. Yeah, that's that's always fun. How about you, Chris? Any crazy yeah. snipes? Or? Yeah, there are a couple. Um, Ty France, I think I like him a lot more. I settled around the turn and got Ryan McMahon. Ty France with the out. He is first base, second base, and a lot higher batting average. He's just a better a better player overall. Um, Kiebert Ruiz, I, I don't think I, I was looking at him in round 13 and just went a couple picks before him. I think that was great value. Um, in the later rounds, just people never made it back around. Um, we have, you know, 15 smart guys in the room and just things didn't happen. Um, you know, I took Bailey over just cause I, I trusted the innings more and I should have known better. And I think you went, I know you took Aaron Ashby around Andrew did around there. Same thing with Tanner, Tanner, Tanner Houck. 
Um, this is guys I probably should have just jumped on because their upside was a little bit higher. Um, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it. Those couple of those guys. Yeah, I was trying to look. At, I think I felt like so obviously picking on the end. You're always making two picks, and I always have a group of guys and try and, you know, you're you're kind of deciding between three or four. And I feel like almost every time, or at least early on, uh, Gabe, who was picking in front of me, he was taking a guy that I was thinking about that was high. You know, if if it wasn't a direct snipe, it was uh, it was close. Specifically, Liam Hendricks, Pablo Lopez. Um, might have been one or two other ones down the board, but yeah, there was a lot of good picks. I mean, even in the back part of that draft, I felt like I was, you know, it would come around to me and there was guys going. I, I, I want to say there was a round. I can't specify which one it was where it was like three or four of them in a row. Um, just boom, 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 right out of my queue, you know, the top of my queue. So there was a lot of that going on for sure. Uh, did you guys have any names from your queue? I forgot to do this. <laughs> and the draft room's closed, obviously, now. So I, I don't even think I can remember them. But three names that were still in your queue when the draft ended? Did you guys have any of that? I had four um, that were remaining at the end. Kirby Yates, who, again, if the season starts late. You know, I think that guy, people are, you know, he had Tommy John surgery pretty early this last year. And being a reliever, yeah. I, I I'm, I've read like I've read like mid season or something like that. It maybe. wouldn't shock like me if mid it's before that. Yeah. And so Kirby Yates, Matt Duffy, the center, the second infielder. I think he's with the Cubs, or he finished the year with the Cubs. I don't. He may be a free agent now. Um, Lewis Lewis Brinson, who's not on a team at the moment, and J, JT Chargois. I think the it would be a raise move to just all of a sudden see him pick up fifteen saves next year. How about you, Chris? Yeah, same kind of idea. We talked about stacking some, like, arms. I took Corbin Martin in around 50. I wish I had one more pick and took Luis Frias in 51 if we had another pick. I think one of those guys could be, you know, really well, get a lot of innings this year on a team that's not really competing. Um, Justin Dunn with Seattle, he can be a lot of innings too. I don't really like this stuff, but he went undrafted. And the guy was – he was a little a little bit of hype the year before, so it was kind of interesting to me. And then Matt Wise, uh, Whistler, same thing with um, Justin's mentioning. And Tam- it's Tampa Bay. You never know what's going to happen. Those guys can fall into saves, and I just – I like the arm. Yeah, the only one that I know for sure was in my queue was your Corbin Martin picket in the 50th round because I, I made my two picks, and I almost picked him, and then I saw you picked him. But – I'm like going off of memory here because I'm looking at <clears throat> I'm looking at the board like the last round and that's all I got for that. So um I don't know. Any other thoughts on any of this? Do you have a do you have a team you like or have you not looked at it that close or favorite I like team this, besides I like besides the, your own? I like the strategy of the idea that you like you and um Andrew, Justin, Lucas and Gabe did. I think waiting on starting starting pitching is something I want to do. Maybe my first pitcher is a closer and just grab a starter right afterwards. I think that's kind of what I'm thinking about. But it all depends how the draft board ends up. I really like what Mike did too. Same kind of idea. But I really like his three hitters to start off. Jose Ramirez, Jordan Alvarez, Manny Machado, then his elite closer. Um, I think I just like that start early. 
So something I was noticing. I really like Mike's team. The thing I think he's light on is is speed with that team, but I really like a lot of the hitters that he took early. Yeah. Um, yeah but okay. Lucas was the one that stood out. I tried looking at each team, um, and I really liked Lucas's squad. I think he drafted a lot of good at bats innings. Um, you know, we've I shouldn't say we. Andrew hates his closers. <laughs> no, and I, I, I I'm. <laughs> I don't love him, but I also understand is the way I'd say it with that. Um, but I think he did a real good job throughout the draft of getting at bats and innings. So I, I liked his draft. Yeah, no, those are good ones. I, I didn't even really have a specific team. I was just curious if you guys, if anybody had, um, had jumped out. I think I would... I definitely like waiting on pitching, but I think if I could change anything here, I would have had one pitcher like a little bit higher, like maybe at that first turn or I'm not positive, but it's fine. I'm, I'm okay with it, but I, I think I may have done that a little bit different, but it's really? always hindsight's hindsight's 2020 when you like look back on it, you know, cause well, what ends up happening is, is you get guys later on, and then you, at least me, I start to think, oh, well, what if I would have taken him up there? Um, but that's also why I like to do this over and over and over is you just get familiar with who you like and what spot and where yeah. to draft this and where to draft that. I mean, I remember last year it got to the point where by the end of the offseason, you could say round 13 and I could mm-hmm. tell you exactly who I would. I could tell you exactly who I was targeting. Like I had a guy or a couple of guys in my head for almost like every round of the draft. It's kind of sickening, but that's just where I was at by the end. So I feel like you do it enough and that it kind of helps you just formulate, you know, what your how you want to attack the draft. So, so if you're looking back and you're thinking that which pitcher is it you're thinking, yeah, maybe I would have taken him. No, I think, I think I probably would have taken, well, I would have taken Woodruff. I was between Albies and Woodruff. Okay. I picked, um, so probably like Mookie and Woodruff and then, um, obviously it probably would have affected like where I took Darvish and Snell, you know, I may not have taken one of them. I may have taken a hitter, you know, it might've changed that, but yeah, nothing too drastic. I mean, I like those guys where I got them. It's just, I may, have fl- I may flip that if I could have redone it. So, all right, well, I think that, uh, Pretty much wraps it up. We'll take another quick break and Justin will close us out. Well, once again, Andrew, great job taking on the the role of the host. You did a great job. Chris, thank you again for coming on and doing that or joining us and talking about this draft. I, I, this is always a podcast. I know Andrew and I both look forward to each year. Chris. I apparently, yeah, this is <laughs> I was like, yeah, he I guess he yeah. just decided yeah. at the break. He was done. We don't pay him by the hour. <laughs> he just, yeah. um, like I said, this is a highlight of my of my off season too. I thank you guys again for letting me come on the, your guys's podcast. 
it's a highlight. I enjoy it. I enjoy getting getting ready for the off season as well as drafts coming up in the new year. I'm blaming you for this. You know, at the end of the off season, at the end of the season, I'm like, oh man, this lockout. I don't think I'm going to do a single draft until they've got the season announced. I don't want to do a single draft. And then you had to go make this league. I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm breaking that rule because I'm not <laughs> not doing this draft. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for setting it up, Chris. Always, uh, it's always fun to do this. I really like going through and just kind of getting familiar with the pool. And this draft obviously helped with that. And we, we know like all these guys in this draft are are good. You know, it's like I felt like everybody was making good picks. I mean, obviously there was some I liked more than others, but yeah, it was overall like a lot of good picks, a lot of snipes. Yeah. A lot of guys that do this, I mean, they play in a lot of leagues. I mean, there were a couple of them that were new to draft and holds, but these guys know their fantasy baseball pools. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we're closing up on Christmas here, and I'll just throw in one last question I was thinking about today as I was thinking about just ending the show, and I was thinking about Christmas because we're coming up on that next week, and I hope you guys both have a Merry Christmas, but – what is the food that – this is a bonus, I guess. We had the open question at the very beginning and of all of this, and now we're going to do a close. What's the food that comes to your mind when you think of Christmas, or like tradition-wise or whatever it is with you in your world growing up or now? What's what's that Christmas food that really sticks out to you? Chris? Yeah, I guess um, food always at my grandmother's house. We always had prime rib, so that's always Ooh. kind of the thing. It was like – it was always like that treat my grandma would like buy a big old prime rib and for the family and whatnot. So it was always kind of like that big thing for Christmas. We're out prime rib. So, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Hmm. What about you, Andrew? I would say cookies actually. Mm. And it's only because I mean, I prefer real food to sweets, but the one cons- the one constant every year is that. I mean, the we typically always have like different food, but um, yeah, there's always cookies and sweets. So I guess I would go with that. Do you want like a um, ice covered cookie, like the iced cookies, or are you wanting just a regular chocolate chip cookie, or like a snick, like a cr- snickerdoodle? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too gingerbread, picky, but I'm not too picky. I I can eat any of them, but like I said, I mean I. I prefer like real food, but um, it's always different, and I feel like that stuff's always always there. So that's that's kind of what I associate with it, I guess. Mine, I'm gonna say probably Christmas tree cakes. There you actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is I didn't even think of that. <laughs> um, yeah, Christmas tree cakes is the right answer. Uh, my wife just made something a couple years ago and it's now a Christmas morning tradition. She makes what's called a French toast cast French toast casserole. And that I, after she made it the first year, I'm like, um, you're going to have to make this every Christmas for now on, because this is amazing. So I, I have that like associated in the morning. I, I love eating Christmas ham. I was just looking online about ordering a ham. Cause I don't think we're going to make one. So we're going to probably order a ham for Christmas. I I mean, I love eating that. My wife grew up, have, um, a lot of her family's from the East, and when they used to have get-togethers on Christmas Eve, they would always have clam chowder 
on Christmas Eve. So that was their tradition I thought was kind of interesting. But uh, yeah, yeah. one last thing, my, my one of my wife's good friends came over and they they had just made some Christmas cookies, a bunch of them and sent them out and they brought some over and I just had a gingerbread cookie today and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't had a good gingerbread cookie in a while. That thing was fantastic. So nice. that's yeah. my last throw in. I love food. Good stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope both you guys have a Merry Christmas. Everybody listening, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Andrew and yeah. I are going to be back soon because the first of the year is whenever all the position rankings start. And even though we are in the middle of a lockout, I think we're just going to get started on this like we would at this time because – what if this? What if everything gets agreed on in March? We don't have time to do it then, all then in a four-week stretch. So we'll just stay on what our normal schedule is and talk about some ranks. Yeah, yeah, give us something to talk about. Yes, and and who knows? Maybe Chris, we need to get you on for one of those or something. You can give your thoughts on some players. Well, always enjoy coming on with you guys. So. Yes. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Thanks again for coming on, Chris. Yes. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for doing this. Good luck to all – well, I don't really mean that. I I want to win. But good luck to you guys in the battle, and I hope one of you gets second place. That's what I hope. <laughs> okay. Until next time, thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. No, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 